Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to another episode of Cryptique. Another fabulous episode of Cryptique. I'm joined, as always, by an enigmatic episode. I'm joined by a man, as always, who gets abducted by aliens for fashion advice. Jay, what's up? It's true. I had a whole line based on alien wear, uh, mostly tinfoil hats and uh, <laughs> sparkly silver clothes that you know defend bullets in case i ever have to go after the family from kelly hopkinsville (laughs) i do i do um i want to tell you guys real quick we are planning a zombie road tour this is going to be it's going to be the weekend before halloween and basically it's going to be a walking tour of this haunted area with descriptions of all the you know strange anomalous deaths that occurred all the hauntings and you'll get to you know see places where famous photos were taken and where you know you can bring your camera you can bring your audio recorder you can bring your frank's box or whatever other kind of ghost hunting equipment you have and you just never know. You might find something, but there's going to be trick-or-treat bags for everybody. There's going to be merchandise for sale. There's going to be giveaways, all kinds of fun stuff. We are trying to plan the podcast to be able to just kind of be a, a sister to the tour, where if you don't want to listen to me talk anymore, which I get, you'll be able to listen to the podcast on the tour. So that should be fun. We've got some emails. Would you like to read the emails? Sure. We've got Jacob from the Upper Peninsula who says, I like the show and the different themes each week, but I like the interviews the most. More interviews. Which we like the interviews too. So we'll keep doing them. Yeah, we we have Regan Forston coming up who actually has uh, visited the afterlife psychically. And uh, we heard him on Coast to Coast, and he was amazing. And then we have Mystic Dave, who's going to come on and tell us how to spot aliens. So those are two interviews that are scheduled for early October. So more interviews are on the way. What's next? Stephanie from the UK writes in with absolutely nothing. And not a single thing in the body of the email. Not sure how that even happens, but we say good day to you. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, I don't know if it was an accident, a mistake, or kind of a backhanded slap to the face, but yeah, just uh, silence. So, (laughs) I just thought that was funny. It's probably a mistake, but I thought I'd throw that in because it's good. (laughs) It reminds me of Car Talk. Did you ever listen to Car Talk back in like the early 90s? I did not, no. There was a guy I remember who would write in every once in a while. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it happened, you know, every couple months. Some the same guy would write in and he would say, "This is the last time you will hear from me." And that's all the letter said. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's something like that. All right, we've also got Helio from Sao Paulo who says the Nightcrawler shirts are great. My wife loves the t-shirts and thinks they're cute. Which the Nightcrawler collection is available at crypticpodcaststore.com. We'll put a link to it. In the show notes, they're pretty cool. Yeah, and I think Nightcrawlers, the dupe to dupes as I call them, mm-hmm. they're not bad. They're the worst things you could have on a shirt. But do you want to tell them what they need to know? 
I do. Um, instead of going through all the uh, addresses and the you know links to where you can find us on YouTube and TikTok and stuff, we're just gonna put them in the notes so we can get right to the show. So, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight we are talking about the question of whether John Wilkes Booth escaped justice after the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln in 1865. This has been the subject of a number of conspiracy theories. The established historical account holds that Booth was shot and killed by Union soldiers on April 26th of 1865 at a Virginia farm. There have been alternative theories suggesting that he may have lived under an assumed identity or identities for years after the assassination, though. These alternative theories propose various scenarios, including living in Indiana under the name of John India. B. Wilkes. Oh, India. Yeah, it's actually, you would think Indiana, but no, he's like, fuck yeah. it, I'm going to India. <laughs> <laughs> including living in India under the name John B. Wilkes or working as a bartender in Texas as John St. Helen. Efforts have been made in the past, such as seeking to exhume Booth's body to provide evidence for these theories, but they have not been conclusively proven. The assassination of Abraham Lincoln by John Wilkes Booth is a well-documented historical event. After committing the assassination at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., Booth managed to escape, which led to an extensive manhunt. The government offered a substantial reward for his capture, and Union soldiers eventually tracked him down to a Virginia farm where he was shot and killed on April 26th of 1865. Despite the widely accepted historical account of Booth's death, there have been persistent theories and alternate narratives suggesting that Booth may have survived and lived under assumed identities in various locations, including some we've already mentioned, like India, but also Tennessee, Texas, and Oklahoma. Efforts to resolve these theories have included attempts to exhume what is believed to be Booth's body from Green Mountain Cemetery in Baltimore, Maryland by distant relatives in the 1990s. However, the court ruled against the exhumation, leaving the mystery unresolved. One potential avenue to put these theories to rest, as mentioned, is to extract DNA from a spinal cord piece that was removed during Booth's autopsy and compared to the DNA of his known relatives, such as his brother Edwin. Such DNA analysis could potentially provide conclusive evidence regarding Booth's fate, but as for now, it remains untested. John Wilkes Booth's assassination of Abraham Lincoln was a significant event in American history, and Booth's motivations and actions leading up to the assassination are well documented. Booth was a Confederate sympathizer and at one point had plotted to kidnap President Lincoln. However, his plans changed after a series of events. The fall of the Confederate capital, Richmond, Virginia, on April 3, 1865, marked a significant turning point as Confederate forces began to crumble. Shortly thereafter, on April 9th of 1865, Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered to Union General Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox Courthouse, signaling the end of the American Civil War. It was in this context of Confederate defeat and Booth's deep-seated loyalty to the Southern cause that he decided to take extreme action. Booth became consumed by a desire for revenge against President Lincoln and the Union for their victory in the Civil War. And on the evening of April 14th, Booth carried out his plan. He entered Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., where President Lincoln and his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, were attending a performance of the play Our American Cousin. Booth was familiar with the theater, having performed there in the past, and knew his way around. 
He took advantage of the fact that President Lincoln typically traveled with minimal security, and he managed to enter the president's private box undetected. As President Lincoln enjoyed the play, Booth approached him and fatally shot him in the back of the head. Leading to a significant rise in vampires in the area. <laughs> yes, as the documentary Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter has shown. <laughs> but what happened next? Find out after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. After the assassination, Booth quickly fled the scene, setting off a massive manhunt that ultimately, allegedly, led to his death. The assassination of President Lincoln had a profound impact on the nation, coming just days after the end of the Civil War. It was a tragic event that sent shockwaves through the United States and played a significant role in shaping the post-war era. Brad Meltzer, who... I think most of you have probably at least heard of. Uh, he's got a series, I believe, on the Discovery Channel. And he's a an author, and he really is kind of known for having an open mind and digging super deep into these. So he's explored various historical mysteries and conspiracies and, you know, anything related to that throughout his career. Uh, one of his works, The Ten Greatest Conspiracies of All Time, obviously explores some of history's most enduring and intriguing conspiracies. In the case of JWB, Meltzer's involvement came about when he received a phone call from the Booth's family lawyer, who claimed to have evidence suggesting that the infamous assassin had lived for many years after his assassination of President Lincoln. So, we already said he shot him, jumped from the presidential box, and ran. Made his way south on horseback and eventually sought medical assistance for his injured leg from Dr. Samuel Mudd. During his time on the run, Booth attempted to change his appearance, including shaving his mustache and possibly altering his hair color. That's important. That's going to come back into play, so just make a note of that. Booth's flight from justice culminated at a farm in Port Royal, Virginia, where Union soldiers surrounded the barn where he was hiding. Booth refused to surrender and was shot by the soldiers. He died at the age of 26 on April 26, 1865, ending his very, very, very short life as a fugitive. At least, that's the official narrative. But what happened next? The identification of Booth's body was confirmed by individuals who knew him, including acquaintances and family members. In one account, the actor stole the identity of an Englishman, John B. Wilkes, that he once met, according to Chuck Huppert, a Booth researcher. Under the guise of Wilkes, Booth traveled to India, where he lived until he died in 1883. So not really all that much longer for a guy who was 26 and 65. Yeah. After Wilkes' death, there was a will that included Booth's wife, his two daughters, and a woman he had an affair with. But Meltzer noted, there is no way to verify the will which was not signed. Other researchers contend that Booth wasn't at the farm when the Union arrived. If that was the case, Meltzer looks at a theory of who it could have been. 
Captain James W. Boyd, a Confederate soldier in the 6th Tennessee Infantry, according to his service record at the National Archives in Washington, D.C. He was also a Union spy, and a photo revealed that Boyd happened to resemble Booth. After Booth died, his body was taken to the USS Montauk, and an autopsy was performed. The only photograph that was taken has since disappeared. Surprise. Conveniently. Enigmatically, you might say. During the procedure, the cervical vertebrae and a small section of his spinal cord were removed, Meltzer wrote. The spinal cord is currently housed at the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Maryland. Another theory is that Booth, as John St. Helen, was living in Franklin County, Tennessee at one point. He then married Louisa Payne, who forced the former actor to use his real name once she found out about the alias. She's not really helpful, is no, she? No, probably not. <laughs> you know, like... No, you've got to be, you've got to go by the name that everybody is looking for. Yeah, that everybody would recognize, even, you know, a hundred and something years later. Exactly. Juanita Keel said that her grandmother's sister married Booth and recounted the story for Meltzer. She explained why. Well, at my age, I've decided everybody's dead that mattered, you know, that would have been hurt by it, so I'll tell it. And that's a quote. (laughs) And that seems to be the case in a lot of these conspiracies, right? It's like nobody that was a, you know, a denier of the conspiracy is around when they come come out and say, mm. no, no, it was wrong. It's always, you know, like a hundred years later, they're like, yeah, actually they were injecting you with poison. Oh, yeah, yeah, so. that's true. The marriage to Louisa Payne didn't work out and he then went to Granbury, Texas. Local legend has St. Helen as a hot-tempered bartender who knew Shakespeare by heart, according to a Scallywag feature article. The article cites the Granbury's Hood County News about St. Helen, who acquired a reputation for being more cultured than the average saloon keeper. Probably not a lot of them that knew Shakespeare. Shakespeare, especially back then. I mean, they could have been like a ladies' man or something, and probably there are people now who would want to be able to do stuff like that who watch, like, uh, or what is it, Tombstone, right? Doc mm-hmm. Holliday's character can quote all this cultural stuff, and he was really cool. But yeah. anyway, St. Helen was on his deathbed when he supposedly confessed his real identity to his friend, Finnis Bates, according to the book. But he didn't die. Instead, he assumed a new identity. David E. George and moved to Enid, Oklahoma. The David E. George part is one of the wildest parts of the story, Meltzer wrote. The man committed suicide by drinking arsenic. The arsenic, combined with his embalming fluids, mummified his body. Hmm. So, yeah, there's a, it's like conspiracy on top of conspiracy. You know, it's, he, no, he escaped and he became this guy and maybe he went to India and maybe he died in this year and then mm-hmm. but no maybe he went to Tennessee and he was under this name and he married this person and we have a member of that family you know way further down the line saying yeah that's what happened you know everybody's dead who cares that's what happened and then a deathbed confession as this hotshot bartender <laughs> and then he doesn't <laughs> die which is like I don't think I don't have anything to confess yeah but I have thought before, like, when I die, if I have the wherewithal, like, if I know what's going on, mm-hmm. I'm going to just say some crazy shit. I'm going to be like, yeah, I buried 30 kilos of gold at, uh, and then just be gone. <laughs> but if I did, if I made some confession and then didn't die, I'd be so pissed. 
if I made a confession and then I just started getting better. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, what would make sense to me in who knows what kind of state of mind like you were saying this person was in but if it were me i would leave a letter and just be like open this one." Oh, yeah that's probably a better way to do it but you gotta have the dramatic like uh, uh, at the end like before you're completely <laughs> done saying where you hid your treasure so anyway we're we're saying that one of the conspiracies is that he didn't die got better <laughs> and moved to oklahoma and then later committed suicide by basically mummifying mm-hmm. himself on purpose. But uh, his his old buddy, Finnis Bates, was the one who identified the body, which the authorities then turned over to him. Bates, who wrote a book called The Escape and Suicide of John Wilkes Booth, tried to sell the mummified body, but it ended up just being stored in his garage, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> right. Like, in... And who's just like, oh, he was your buddy? All right, well, here's Here you his go. body. This is, looks like your problem now. Do the right <sighs> thing. Don't try and yeah. sell it. Don't have him, you know, rotten in your garage. Yeah. Well, he didn't want him rotten in the garage, so a traveling circus bought the mummy after Bates' death. Okay, so his family <laughs> didn't want it there. I should have said. But a traveling <laughs> yeah. circus bought the, the mummy after Bates' death in 1923, before it allegedly disappeared sometime in the 70s. In the 90s, some of Booth's distant relatives tried to get his body exhumed, but the judge sided with the cemetery. As we talked about before, they're trying to do this DNA test. And Meltzer explained that it is believed that there are three babies buried in the same grave and that there was a concern that they would get other DNA. What? A likely excuse, (laughs) Ryan, because... Like they act like there's because there's other DNA there that there's no chance they could get the right DNA. And it seems to me it would be pretty obvious like, okay, well, maybe two of these uh, babies were female. So we can rule this female DNA out. Okay, now we've got, um, you know, two male DNAs. So, or DNA profiles, I guess. Well, let's compare these both to the DNA profile of Edwin mm-hmm. or to the DNA from the part of the vertebrae that was taken out. Well, no, we can't do that. That's crazy. I mean, we would have to test four DNA profiles for that to happen. I mean, are you guys insane? Yeah, I mean, that costs... How could we possibly do something that? Like costs like $200 through 23andMe or whatever that stuff costs now it just seems like it makes it sound like a cover-up right we can't there's no way we can do that i mean what are we what what is this 2023 (laughs) now there's no way we can do stuff like that you guys are just crazy it definitely does sound like they're trying to avoid the potential of some kind of embarrassment like oh we got the wrong guy a hundred years ago yeah it's like Again, people don't want to do what's right. They want to just, you know, do what's easy. Or gives them credit or, yeah, whatever benefits them. It's the incentives, man. It sure is. What happened in the early 90s? In the early 90s, Nate Orlowick, which sounds like an orc to me, and it's a difficult name to say, asked permission to exhume the body that is believed to be Boos at Green Mountain Cemetery in Baltimore, Maryland, according to a 2013 Verge article. Uh, Boos' distant relatives 
then filed a lawsuit to exhume the body, which went to trial in 1995, according to that same article. And as of now, we don't you know, know that anything has happened. It seems that everything has been, you know, denied for one reason or another, possibly to avoid embarrassment, yeah. possibly to genuinely avoid, you know, wasting resources. But yeah, this kind of thing seems to happen all the time. Yeah. You know, my, my fiance watches crime shows constantly and they are constantly doing things like this. Yeah. Final thoughts after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So, there is also a story where I'm not sure if it was a medical examiner, but somebody was brought to, someone that knew Booth was brought to identify him. And, and it may have been the person that we covered earlier, but I think that this person was um, an employee, I guess you could say, of the Union Army. And he was basically brought to a tent that had Wilkes Booth's body in it and allegedly and he was kind of surrounded by like five or six big Union soldiers with their rifles and bayonets and the man who was kind of in charge of this little escapade was like that's John Wilkes Booth right you know that's John Wilkes Booth and these guys you know are all staring at him intimidating him and I love what he wrote and it was basically and I'm paraphrasing but this body before me is John Wilkes Booth he does not look like John Wilkes Booth he has a different skin tone you know pale with freckles than John Wilkes Booth he has different hair color than John Wilkes Booth he has no injuries to his leg like John Wilkes Booth suffered after jumping from the balcony. But he must be John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> and that was the end. That's pretty ballsy. Yeah, it's basically him saying, well, you're going to make me say this. That's fine. But this is how it's going to be yeah. said. And that's pretty powerful to me. If it's all on the up and up, why is there need for intimidation? You know, I'll yeah. tell you why. Because if he says, no, this isn't John Wilkes Booth, nobody gets the reward money. <gasps> Imagine that. A bunch of reward money for a bunch of soldiers, and they're intimidating someone into saying that, yes, this is the correct body, and we should get the reward. Yeah. Well, and Booth was an actor, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a thespian. We we talked about him being familiar with the theater and all that. So, I mean, you're Acting. talking about hiding. You're talking about finding somebody at a time where photography is fairly rare. Communication yeah. is slow. Land travel is relatively difficult unless you're going along railroads. Mm -hmm. And you're looking for somebody whose literal job is to be other people. 
Yeah. That sounds kind of miserable. Yeah. So if you have a chance to be like, oh, I think we uh, wrapped it up. Or if you're a, a, a Confederate sympathizer yourself, mm-hmm. you may just want to be like, oh, this is good enough. Yeah. We found some yeah. mugging victim. Uh, I think this, we, we shot him. This is John Wilkes Booth. Very true. The guy that was in the, uh, so when they trapped him in this barn, allegedly, there were two men in there and they were yelling, John Wilkes Booth, come out. And the other guy came out with his hands up and he's like, don't, don't shoot, please don't shoot. That's not John Wilkes Booth in there. I don't know who, you know, who that is. That's this guy. And yeah, that guy had no say in it. Uh, He was, you know, shot and killed and yeah. So then they, they had their body, they had their money, they had their end. They had, you know, where they could say, oh, yeah, this guy killed the president and we killed him within, you know, six hours or, or whatever. So there's a lot of reasons to cover it up. And the main thing for me is, no, we're not going to test his DNA. Well, well, why not? You have the opportunity to absolutely destroy this conspiracy theory that you can't stand, that you hate, that you, you know, you want gone. We'll wrap it up. Test this DNA and we'll shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. I mean, until you do, I'm sorry, but some guys that were going to make absurd amounts of money in the time and intimidated somebody into lying on an identification of this person, then, I mean, that's who you're protecting. And it it doesn't make sense to me. I I would think that, you know, if you can put something to rest, put it to rest. What do you think? So my, my, I guess what I should say is I think he got away. I, I think this whole thing about them catching the guy was all propaganda. Yeah, the quotes about the one that you just read, you know, the guy who was supposed to ID him, it was like, well, this is him. Mm-hmm. Wrong skin color, wrong hair color, doesn't look like him, doesn't have his injuries, but it must be him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's totally possible. I think it's entirely possible that he got away. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't know why somebody a hundred years on would be like, hey, my grandfather or whatever was john wilkes booth mm-hmm. like why why would you what do you gain it doesn't make any sense so yeah unless you're selling a story or a book mm-hmm. you know if you're trying to like sell movie rights or something it doesn't make any sense and i do a hundred percent believe that there there was every incentive for union soldiers or whatever law enforcement were involved to just want to close it as quickly as possible yeah. You know, it's not like he's I mean, going to pop up somewhere else and be like, hey, it's me. You miss me. <laughs> he, he's going to just stay hidden forever. So it's there from a practical perspective. There's no real difference. Yeah. Like he's yeah. gone either way. You're not going to see John yeah. Wilkes Booth again. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. I'm going with he got away. But Ryan, did you know there was an attempt to assassinate Barack Obama? I did not. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about it. So after Shannon Rogers' husband, and you may know her from some uh, acting gigs, after her husband asked for a divorce, 
she decided to frame him in an act of revenge. Shannon Rogers was born August 31st, 1977 in Bowie County, Texas, or Bowie County. I like Bowie. She faced significant challenges during her upbringing, which potentially had lasting effects on her adult relationships. At the tender age of two, her mother abandoned her, leaving her father, who worked at GM, to raise Shannon and her siblings in Doraville, Georgia. In the late 2000s, Shannon's career gained traction with minor roles in popular TV shows like The Vampire Diaries and The Walking Dead, as well as appearances in films like The Blind Side. So those are pretty, I mean, she didn't have major roles, but those are major productions. Yeah. So she's on her way up. But despite being a single mother with two divorces behind her and five children to care for, oh. Shannon found love in the arms of Nathaniel Richardson. They got married in 2011 and moved to New Boston, Texas, where Shannon became pregnant with her sixth child in late 2012. Nathaniel, a U.S. Army veteran, recalled Shannon's strong desire for fame during this time. However, even as they were expecting their first child together, Nathaniel expressed a desire to file for divorce. Shannon's reaction to this desire for separation was unconventional and troubling. She began ordering materials online with the intention of framing him, hoping to garner sympathy and attention. What about her motive? Her motive was fueled by a desire for revenge due to the impending divorce. Using lye, syringes, and castor beans, Shannon concocted ricin, a deadly poison capable of causing harm through ingestion, injection, or inhalation. On May 20th, while her husband was at work as a military mechanic, she sent threatening letters to three high-profile individuals, President Obama, Michael Bloomberg, and Mark Glaze, head of the nonprofit Mayors Against Illegal Guns. One of the letters to President Obama ominously stated, What's in this letter is nothing compared to what I've got in store for you, Mr. President. Anyone wants to come to my house will get shot in the face. Which totally sounds like something someone would say. Sounds I like somebody, don't... yeah, daring you, like, trace this letter. Yeah, and I don't, it just doesn't sound like something a military person would say. I mean, I guess everybody has their own lingo and whatnot, but it just doesn't sound like, you know, a military or, or, or you know, a gun enthusiast would say shot in the face. I feel like they would say shot. Yeah. That, I, I don't know. It's just kind of a weird little quirky thing that sounds odd to me. Sounds like something an actor would say. Sounds like yeah. something somebody on a TV show would say, yeah. Shannon later claimed that she never intended for these letters to reach their intended recipients, believing that their high-profile status would prevent them from passing through security. Her assumption proved correct as all three envelopes were intercepted before reaching their destinations. In the meantime, Shannon's actions inadvertently incriminated her and expedited the investigation. According to an FBI affidavit, Shannon called the police on May 30th of 2013, reporting the discovery of suspicious brownish pebble-like beans in her home, along with a note containing addresses on her husband's desk. The investigation took a significant turn when the FBI examined the couple's laptop, revealing that crucial internet searches related to their investigation were conducted during times when her husband was not present. Rookie mistake. 
<laughs> under the pressure of a failed lie detector test. Shannon eventually confessed, but shifted blame onto her husband, claiming that he had coerced her into producing and sending the threatening letters. Hold on just a second. I, I, I think that we need to talk just a second that uh, she claimed that her husband had coerced her into, into writing letters. And yeah. Now, can you just imagine somebody standing over you being like, you make that ricin. You, you make that ricin. You, you make that poison. You do it. You, do, you mean, write this letter. You have nice handwriting. <laughs> right. Make it, do cursive. Make it all nice and curly like. <laughs> yeah. That way AI won't be able to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Put, I am not a robot in a checkbox on the <laughs> on front of the envelope so that, so the machines can't read it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, Shannon, who was arrested on June 7th of 2013 while pregnant, admitted to the disturbing details as part of a plea agreement. She confessed to opening an email account, a PayPal account, and a post office box in her husband's name. Nathaniel Richardson wasted no time in divorcing Shannon after the ordeal, as it wasn't the first time he had been falsely accused. Shannon was sentenced to 18 years in prison for manufacturing and possessing a biological weapon. Despite her actions, she maintained, I never intended for anybody to be hurt. I'm not a bad person. I don't have it in me to hurt anyone. Except her husband, apparently. Right. While a criminal complaint mentioned the use of undisclosed mass surveillance and collaboration with the United States Postal Service to identify Shannon as the perpetrator, she ultimately agreed to a plea bargain. On July 16, 2014, she was convicted of creating and possessing a biological weapon, and that's when her sentencing happened. We'll give you our final thoughts after a quick break. back for peepers 18 years doesn't sound like much for attempting to you know poison your president and and other people too i mean i feel like if any of what she said is true about not wanting to hurt anyone why would she make it real you know what i mean you could just put salt in there or something yeah and, or flour or whatever yeah so I think that that, you know, speaks to her. I don't want to say insanity as in use that as a defense, but if she didn't really want these people to die, then why would she go to the trouble of making the real poison? It's also pretty disingenuous to say, I don't have it in me to hurt anyone. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just framing my husband. I just yes. I just opened a P.O. box, a PayPal account, and an email address in his name and made it look like he was doing all these things, buying all these things, and conducting these searches. Yeah. It's like the same uh, excuse the guy that saw John Wilkes Booth's body said. You know, like, I would never hurt anybody. Yes, I made poison. Yes, I sent the letters to significant people in society yes i framed my husband yes i wanted him to go to jail for the rest of his life or get the death penalty but again i would never hurt anybody mm -hmm. and it's like your your actions and your words don't match lady right. rot and i feel bad for kids because they're probably all good kids and you know this 
baby would have had to have been born in prison, right? Yeah. I think if we're going by this timeline. So, yeah, you you hurt everybody. You even hurt yourself, you dumbass. Why are you (laughs) making statements like this? Yeah. Yeah, I did not know about this before before we did this episode this is and i do kind of recognize her i watched Mm -hmm. the walking dead up to a certain point uh i got tired of it it was getting real (laughs) dark real depressing and i knew where the comic books went and how much darker it got and i was like i'm not i'm not doing this to myself anymore apparently it didn't get quite as bad as some of the stuff in the comics but i was still like, yeah, I'm not doing this to myself anymore. <laughs> and I, you know, I, God, there were two shows on at the same time. It was, uh, what did we say? Vampire, Vampire, Vampire Diaries? Diaries. And, okay, and there was another one called Pretty Little Liars. Mm-hmm. And I could not tell them apart. Hmm. And I think Pretty Little Liars had like three or four blonde girls on it. Because a girl that I was mm-hmm. dating way back then, the, the reptilian, <laughs> mm-hmm. watched both of those shows. And I was sitting there with her, but I think I was like reading or doing something else. But I was kind of glancing up every once in a while. And I didn't realize that all of these girls were different people until I saw them all in the same room at the same time. <laughs> I looked up and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I, That's yeah, awesome. I just referred to it as like, oh, you're watching Vampire Liars? Because I had I couldn't tell them apart because I didn't pay any attention to them, but I, I probably saw her. Probably saw her just in one of, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I mean that's a crazy story, and it is weird that we didn't hear about it. And I, I wonder if that was partially by design, like they they don't want to kind of spread that. Yeah, maybe this almost got through. You know, or... It could also just be one of those things where it's like so routine hmm. to receive threats from crazy people that they That's just don't bother too. reporting it. I mean, as sad as that is, it's probably true. All right. Well, all right. I'm going to tell you just a quick thing about the Zombie Road Tour here. The weekend before Halloween, we will be doing a walking tour of Zombie Road and more information is to come you can find us on all your favorite social media sites the links will be in the show notes and i guess that's all we've got for you what does ryan hate it when we always say don't sleep critique good evening crypt keepers <laughs> <laughs>